0: Welcome to Liberty Life, a podcast that brings together conversations between thought leaders, disruptors, creatives, entrepreneurs, and game changers. Because we believe good conversation can create positive change. So, welcome, Paul, to our, our podcast. So, we're doing a series called Liberty Life, um, where we talk to what, well, who we consider truly inspirational people within various sort of sectors and fields so um enter paul um the ceo of aim do you do you just want to give us a little bit of a walk through as to um how you've got to to where you are today because you've got really interesting background
1: thank you um thanks for having me on the on the podcast it's nice to be here and um and including me in your your kind description of of what did you say? Inspirational leaders?
0: inspirational leaders, game changers, innovators, disruptors. We definitely think you fall under that umbrella. Thanks. So I,
1: uh, I'm the CEO of AIM, the Association of Independent Music, uh, which is the UK's uh, community of, I would say, entrepreneurs in music. So it started out 20 years ago as like uh, independent labels. Uh, and over time, as the music industry has evolved, as the landscape has evolved, so has AIM. Uh, and so you cut forward today and it's a really diverse community of yes uh some of the best known independent labels in the uk but also distributors self-releasing artists entrepreneurs of all type people people that have in common i think the fact that they're trying to build businesses in music today
0: brilliant okay that's interesting actually because i never thought of it thought of it from the entrepreneurial aspect but it very much is isn't it mm.
1: um
0: so how did you get to the to the role of ceo so i had a look at your your background so you started off in the um in the finance industry within kind of investment and banking is that right
1: yeah kind of i mean i i i, I grew up in a family of musicians uh, all my family were musicians um <laughs> apart from my 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 father who was terrible at music mm.
0: uh,
1: and uh, uh and so he became an accountant. Uh, he was good at maths and mm-hmm. um, so I grew up, it was cool. I grew up in a, in a house with this sort of flat with this um, kind of elephant's graveyard of musical instruments. My granddad had tried to teach my dad unsuccessfully mm-hmm. uh, and I had kind of free reign of those and we were really encouraged to play music from a very early age um, and, um, and we used to play together as a family um, and, and have a lot of fun and yeah. I was kind of due to become a musician originally I'm playing in a lot of bands, um, you know, making making my way in the music scene when I was at college. Um, and then there was this kind of push and pull between kind of my parents and the rest of my family to get a straight job.
0: Right. And not suffer,
1: <laughs> not suffer like the rest of my my family. And right, living right. tenure as a musician. Uh so <laughs> I kind of bowed to parental pressure. I went off and got a day job, uh, did that for a while, um, and was doing pretty well, but it it was my heart was never in it. I never loved it. And eventually yeah. I kind of just had enough and realized it wasn't where I wanted to be. Uh, so I set up a, a business in music and went, went back.
0: Wow. Okay. And that must've been quite a daring move, mustn't it? So you're obviously kind of in, within that, you you'd obviously built quite a history um, and experience within the sort of finance banking sector or whatever to suddenly mm-hmm. kind of do a bit of a, not a U-turn, but that must've been quite a brave move. Uh, do
1: you know, um, it didn't feel brave at the time, I just felt mm. compelled to do it. And it's, it's those funny things, people, you know, um, when you start a business, people talk about, you know, God, the risk you took and all these stories you hear. And when you look back, you think, oh, that was quite a gamble. But at the time, it just feels like the right thing to do. It's just you're excited by it, you're compelled to do it. And you just got to do it. And, and I remember I went to, um, so my dad by that time was no longer in accountancy. But uh, my accountant had been his junior when he was like a, an accountant. And um, so I went to him for advice and I remember sitting in his office and he said to me, if you fail, what's the worst that can, can happen? Yeah. And I remember saying, well, if it all goes wrong, I'll get a job. I mean, you know, I've still got my banking qualifications and, and my, my CV is good. And, you know, so mm-hmm. if, you know, if it fails, I'll get a job. You know, it's not like I'm taking out a massive loan to start this business. Yeah. And he said, okay. And he said, but if you don't do it, will you regret it for the rest of your life? And I remember thinking, yeah, I probably would. And, it, and I remember leaving his office and going, right, that's it. And I went back to, the, went back to work and handed him my notice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had a similar moment actually. So um, I, uh, I'd been working in the corporate sector in, um, in, in charity and in corporate events, sustainable events. And I, I did exactly the same. And I remember, I've actually found a piece of paper actually where I'd kind of rehearsed my, my sort of exit speech to my CEO um and 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 thought exactly the same I had that same advice what, what's the worst that can, ha- can happen and will you regret it um so obviously we're in quite challenging times right now there might be people at that kind of crossroads where perhaps they've been made redundant from their roles and they think you know I want to go I want I want to pursue that career in, in music I want I've got an idea that I really want to set up what sort of advice would you give to somebody that's perhaps like that? point in their career right now where it's quite a tricky kind of future isn't it
1: yeah so i'd say if if you're at that point in life where you're should we say time rich cash poor so you know you've got lots of time on your hands but you're not earning and you're thinking okay i've got a window of opportunity to try and get something started so long as i don't really so long as it doesn't cost me a huge amount of money uh i can kind of survive for the next two three months while i'm trying to get it up and running Mm. um if that's the case, I would say I would sit down and I would think about all of the things that you can invest your time into to move that that forward without having to spend money. So you may not be somebody that's built lots of websites in your life, but you know what? If you spend a day or two with uh, Wix or Squarespace, you can get a you can get a, a website started. You can get something up. You know, you can get a minimum viable product up and running. Um, And that holds true for lots of areas of business today. And so long as it's not stuff you've got to actually invest a lot of cash into, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: can use the time you have to move things forward. I would say the other thing that we know that, I I don't know, um, something like 80% of businesses fail in their first year. Mm. And very often it's because when things are easier, when times are easier, it's easier to get things started because you're out and about. You can go and get hold, get hold of money or people or whatever. At the moment, it's tougher. Yeah. So at the moment, to really get something started, I think you've got to spend that little bit more time really clarifying exactly what it is you're trying to do and be mm-hmm. laser focused. And I think that forces a discipline that we often lack. So you rush ahead to, set up, to get a business rolling before you've really, really nailed it. And that I think weakens a lot of businesses that start. Whereas right now, if you've got some time on your hands mm. and not a huge, you know, you're not pulled in every direction like we normally are so often in life. Mm. Um, I would use that time to really, really nail what the business is trying to achieve, yeah. who it's trying to achieve it for and how and figure out how it's going to get you know how how are people are going to pay you what are they going to pay you for how is that how are you going to really demonstrate your value to them how are you going to make it indispensable that they pay you and don't try and get away without paying you all that stuff mm-hmm. um, you can really really try and have that down before you launch and I think that would that really helps
0: yeah that sounds good and and then how would they join a membership organization like yours and what can you what's the benefits of joining uh, an association like aim? Mm, Good
1: question. Uh, That's a, that's a question we answer every single day. If not asked by members, we ask ourselves because I'm a big believer in the fact that we can't just exist for the sake of existing and particularly in a a crisis like the one we're living through right now, it's existential for an organization like aim. Uh, You know, if we can't help our members now, why on earth do we exist? Yeah. Um, so effectively, to, to join AIM, uh, you have to be eligible to join. You have to either own or control some master rights in music, so some recordings. Uh, right. That's pretty pretty broad. Um, yeah. And then obviously you, you pay a membership fee. Um, and, and the question is, what do you, what do you get for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there are a mixture of hard and soft benefits, by which I mean the hard benefits are kind of um, what do you get out of it in terms of uh, cash or, or advantages things that you can yeah. capitalize on. Um, we have an exclusive deal with the BBC, for example, where our members can license back uh, performances on the BBC and release them commercially with no advance, uh, which wow. is a huge advantage. Yeah. Um, if you become a member of AIM, a rights holder member of AIM, uh, you get free anti- digital anti-piracy cover with our partnership with Muso. Um, there is a an opportunities platform that you get access to as an AIM member, which is a kind of two-sided digital marketplace where all our partners uh, post opportunities for AIM members to either uh, make money or save money. Um, so it could be, for example, um, O2 as a brand posted some uh, opportunities to have music uh, synced into adverts uh, that they were looking to build. So again, an opportunity for members to make money with their music, or it can be discounts on all of the services you would normally buy in as a music company and that could be from insurance to all sorts of diff- different services that you would normally have to buy um, so if you like for me it's really important that AIM has that suite of hard benefits you know how do I make how does AIM make our members money or save our members money every single day um, and then the array of soft benefits and the soft benefits are the slight, they're slightly more difficult to to quantify. But, mm. A lot of our members get, get a lot out of this. So it's sharing information, understanding the marketplace, networking, training, best practice, all of the sorts of things that being in a community of like-minded entrepreneurs gives you that, that edge, that advantage. It also gets you access. So, for example, smaller independent music businesses might find it very difficult to engage with large organizations. And that could be something like PPL or it could be someone like Spotify. Uh, yeah. Whereas actually as AIM, we have incredibly good and strong relationships with those organizations. So if people are having problems, if they, they come across, uh, uh, you know, errors in the system or things aren't quite working as they should, we can very often get in there and get them a contact to get, the, to get that stuff fixed and sorted out. We have a, in fact, with PPL, we have a hotline uh, directly for members. So, you know, if there are problems with registrations, if there are difficulties, these things happen, um, we can just get that stuff sorted out. So you never get that kind of computer says no response.
0: Oh, that's fantastic that that sounds so valuable because it's those sorts of companies that i find are really hard to get to gain any kind of contact details for isn't it mm. so um wow that sounds really valuable and and do it so during this time obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic it's it's just sort of it feels like we're coming to the end and, and then it doesn't um things seem to be crumbling around us how have your members coped and and um what does, what does the future look like for them or the rest, certainly the rest of the year?
1: Mm. Um, that's a really good question. And I, I, I think anyone that thinks they have the answer to it is probably kidding themselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the truth is, I think, um, bigger businesses with larger catalogs that yeah. have more cash flow from digital revenues, regular digital revenues, are probably less uh, destabilized by the crisis than... Yeah businesses with without so much catalog or for example that are reliant on live revenues um, you know those businesses are uh, are really under threat Mm -hmm. Um, the live music industry was one of the first sectors to shut down and we know it's going to be one of the last sectors to reopen because even if the government turned around and say that it's okay to open a venue In reality, what what level of consumer confidence is there to to buy a ticket and go, you know, would you buy a ticket today and go to a a gig in a club where you're standing sort of in close proximity to lots of strangers? I I think it feels really uncomfortable right now. Um, So what we've got to do is figure out, first of all, how to support not just the businesses, but the people um, who are affected by this. Uh, The second thing is we have to keep pressure on government to support the ecosystem and to understand the interrelationship between the the music ecosystem, the players in the music ecosystem, from uh, musicians, session musicians, to featured artists, songwriters and composers, to uh, club owners and promoters, to record labels and publishers, to et cetera, et cetera. There's there's an interdependent ecosystem. And we have to be really careful that if any bit of it shuts down, it means the rest of us find it really hard to keep going. Um, yeah. So I think it really serves us best to, to hang together and, and support each other and reinforce each other. When, yeah. when we set up the AIM uh, crisis fund, when the, when the um, yes. COVID-19 shutdown happened.
0: And um, did you, how much is that? That's a million pounds, is it, in the fund?
1: Or? Yeah, so, well, we, we launched with half a million uh, with the aspiration of getting up to a million. Uh, and we're now over 700 on our way to 800,000, which is, which is fantastic yeah, uh, and, and is a real... I mean for me an incredible validation I think words like community are thrown around very easily Mm -hmm. Um, and what we mean by community I think really defines itself in a moment of crisis people didn't just hunker down in their bunkers they actually came together and pooled resources to try and help people through and that Mm -hmm. wasn't just that money is not just available for AIM members that money has been available for uh, particularly self-employed contractors who mm-hmm. who normally work with artists signed to a members or self releasing a members um, mm-hmm. who've lost all their work overnight mm-hmm. through no fault of their own just yeah. because the world stopped and yeah. and 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 we know that very often particularly where you, I've been I was self employed for many many years
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's a hand to mouth existence you never quite have the cushion of savings you wish you had yeah. and when a crisis like this hits
0: yeah
1: there's very little to fall back on, uh, and we were really mindful of that. So for us, the crisis fund was an opportunity, yes, to reinforce our members, but also.:
0: Sorry, uh, I'm just going to have. No, going to have go to be for really it. rude. My daughter's just been dropped off by a childminder, ah. and my has, Hello no, I was going <laughs> <out>. <laughs> okay. That's OK. Oh, sorry one second. Don't <laughs> on <at> <laughs> oh, OK, one second. One second, one second. Adam i'm so sorry this is lo-
1: lockdown life don't worry my kid i just got my i managed to get my kids out of the door just before we started recording
0: <laughs> that's so embarrassing my partner was supposed to be hovering around the door because she was thinking one he's going to have a shower so um here we are <laughs> so i'm really sorry Brilliant.
1: no don't worry about it but yeah this is i think actually look every um every cloud has a silver lining and i think one of the silver linings for me about lockdown. Okay. Has been the humanization of the industry.
0: Uh-huh. I bought this for you. Hello. Say hello. I bought this for you. Thank you very much. You... Yeah. <laughs> <this> <laughs> thank you very much. Oh, you very wow. much. Can we go into the other room just for five minutes while mommy finishes this, this conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you perhaps this won't be going on our youtube anymore
1: (laughs) i think think it doubly should no i think i I think it's been really amazing how you know um you get so used to having meetings with people in offices and some people can feel incredibly powerful or impenetrable or Mm. you know and and since lockdown we've all had a kind of small window into each other's houses um we keep being interrupted by each other's kids and and partners and things going on or and Mm. And suddenly it's a great leveler. It's very, I think I found it very humanizing. i found, particularly, for example, lobbying government. When you go yes. into Whitehall and you meet with government officials, it's all very formal. And then suddenly yes. we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to juggle. We're all parents. We're all partners. We're all, we've got, yes. you know, housemates, whoever it is. We've all, all got these lives, these, these circles that intersect. Yes. And, and suddenly, actually, I think the whole thing has felt more human, more relatable. Everyone's, I found it. Um, an experience that has broken down many of those kind of artificial constructs that stop us being much more open in how we talk to people and how we deal with people and that's Mm. that's been a real a real positive to the crisis I think.
0: Yeah absolutely Um, but it just it does feel I'm I'm part of lots of different Facebook kind of um, musician groups and things like that and it it does really feel like desperate times for the live sector Mm. what sort of I don't know hope or words of encouragement do you Mm. do you think we could give them all all that there is I mean when do we even think that the first some people are talking about talking about the fact that festivals might not even happen next year um what what do you think I I
1: think we we can only take it one one step at a time let's 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 go through I think the steps that have happened yeah um so um step one we recently can can uh, concluded uh, the publication of the back to work guidance for rehearsal studios, recording studios, and mu- music video shoots, okay. um, and that was a, a cross-sectoral working group that AIM led with Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport in government, along with Public Health England, Health and Safety Executive, uh, the Music Producers Guild, BPI, Musicians Union were all involved in in writing this guidance um, to help people get back to work safely in those environments. Um, there were points during that process where it became clear that public health experts are public health experts. They're not music people. So they had really no idea of, of the reality of working, let's say, in a recording studio. So mm. they were talking about socially distancing uh, singers with mm. six meters of space around them we kind of said come on guys really six meters they said, yes because they're projecting their voices and 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 they've got powerful diaphragms so they must be projecting like aerosol and droplets for for, for you know much further than a normal person speaking and we kind of said yeah but in, in the recording studio yeah. engineers often spend a lot of time trying to isolate singers because you mm. don't want that big roomy sound you know you want them to be enclosed um and they were they were surprised by that so we did a whole show and tell we did this kind of like pulled up pictures of recording studios vocal booths this is a you know a permanent vocal booth here's a temporary one that someone's built here's this scenario that scenario here's how brass players actually sit in us in a in a line and that really helped them understand realistic risk and that was a big step forward so we know that our advice our, those conversations with Public Health England fed into the performing arts guidance that DCMS published and that's really relevant to live because the performing arts guidance tries to capture rehearsal and live right. and, and you start to come to a place where bit by bit there are two things here bit by bit first of all performance can take place so we know that people are performing in venues but without an audience Okay, and that can be filmed yeah. and that can be streamed. We know that's yeah. possible because we know that we can we can work together, particularly as professionals. So they yeah. know that public health England are comfortable that professional musicians will be a bit more disciplined, a bit more focused than perhaps yeah. people who are doing it for a laugh. Uh, yeah. And we're very mindful that it's our living. We don't want to compromise our living by endangering each other, getting each other sick, so that none of us can work.
0: Mm.
1: So, so the on-stage bid is actually less of a problem. The real problems are around the offstage bits and the audiences yeah. and public confidence. So another thing that we've done within AIM is, is really lead the way uh, in partnership with our European network in Parlour to develop live streaming guidance. How do you actually deal with rights in live stream situations? How do you monetize them? Who gets the money? How does that work? Mm. Um, there's a huge amount of work being done there to try and just clarify and enable people to make that a proper part of their business mm. uh, and figure out where things sit um the final part to this is the audience part that's the yeah. hardest part yeah and and yeah. to be honest with you i think our biggest fight right now is with so government have just announced this 1.57 billion uh aid package for the for creative and cultural industries um a lot of that will go to the subsidized arts a lot of it will go to the big institutions you know we anticipate the big particularly the orchestras, the Royal Opera House, the South Bank, you know, these places uh, will get a lot of that money, I expect. Um, There is money set aside for grassroots music venues and festivals, other people, they are eligible to apply. But the the big, I think, win we have to secure is to convince government that it shouldn't be about mothballing these places, because it's the cheapest solution, is just to put them on ice until they can reopen profitably. Mm. Because we should, I think, take the view that that they should be working as early as possible, even if it's economically unviable, even if you can only open with 20, 30% audience capacity safely. Yeah. We should be subsidizing to top that up to break even point, to enable that work to happen because in those circumstances, you've still got a sound engineer working, you've still got a lighting engineer working, you've still got crew, you've still got technicians, you've still got the band working, you've still got all of these people, the venue owner, the bar, you know, all those support, networks that kick in and are needed to make a successful show happen whether it's a single show or a festival or whatever it might be I think it's far better for us to get as near to normal as we can Mm. with subsidy yeah rather than pay to put things on ice and live in this sort of suspended animation where nobody works
0: yeah and is that like? Exactly. We, we've
1: got to make that case not not at the moment at the moment i think the calculation is being done that it's cheaper to put things on ice
0: right. and where but it's cheaper to put things, things on, on ice, ice I- they
1: will be well it means all that, of that yeah there's, there's no trickle down and and we need that trickle through to happen because the impact on the the greater economy uh, music economy is larger and i think the other thing is what we mustn't forget to factor into our lobbying with government is the cost of restarting it. If you put a venue on ice for a year and then suddenly you open it, who's gonna staff it? Where are your experts? Where are the people that know what they're doing that can actually deliver a successful show? So I think we'll be really careful to to build into our calculations the the restart cost as well as the 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 cost of shutting it down. Mm
0: -hmm. Sounds like some, you know, some really valuable conversations happening and um I think it it gives me some kind of um, hope people like yourself and aim are involved in those really critical conversations. So, um, yeah, let's hope, let's hope that there's some, um, some positive, uh, change for, for certainly for the live sector. Um, mm. so I'm going to sort of move away from the, this conversation now because it is quite depressing. And I think, um, a lot of people are feeling that way. Um, talk to us a little bit about your all-stars collective. Um, oh, that wow. looks really exciting. <laughs> How did that, <laughs> How did that all come about and um yeah i'm really really kind of quite intrigued actually
1: okay uh <laughs> so yeah uh this was uh, so back in 2003 uh mm. i started this is when i i uh left just before i left corporate life uh, and yeah. handed in my notice uh, yeah. i got together with a couple of friends and we started uh, promoting some gigs um, mm. And the first venue that we promoted was the Clapham Grand, uh, which, funnily enough, I think had one of the first uh, COVID test shows, didn't it? With Frank Is Carter. It? Was, it, was it Frank Carter at the oh, Clapham okay. Grand? I think so.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: anyway, so we, um, I managed through, through a random, quite sort of friend of a friend. Mm. Uh, the, the music we were promoting was kind of, I, I was always been really into kind of, Roots music, uh, so you know, jazz, soul, blues, reggae, funk. Mm. Um and I uh I remember through this friend of a friend met met someone that worked at Jazz FM and we kind of said, Oh, wouldn't it be great if Jazz FM sponsored it? Because back in the day it was an FM radio station.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and there was this kind of really vague, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll know this well better than I, but there's this really vague kind of, yeah, yeah, we kinda like the idea. We don't want to say no, but we're gonna give you a really weak a weak response that kind of says uh we'll give you some presents on our website we like will we'll list you on our website and this was back <laughs> in the day when that really was not very valuable
0: yeah <laughs> and
1: um so we kind of uh, and then a couple of weeks before the gig i got a phone call and somehow the managing director of jazz fm had suddenly come across our event got really excited about it and suddenly wanted to go all in wow I was like, what do you mean? They're getting on-air promotions, uh, giveaway competition. Uh, Can they have like a box for a competition winner box at at the Clapham Grand? Can, and all the Jazz FM management were coming down and I kind of went, whoa, hang on, hang on, (laughs) hang on. Because our big plan, our big plan was that for our first event, we could probably like twist the arms of all our friends and family to come. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't feel we could do that twice. Mm. So we kind of thought, right, let's save our money for a headliner for the second show, not the first show. Mm-hmm. Because the first show, we'll get all our friends and family down. We'll kind of pressure test our That's ideas, fine. and then we'll yeah. tell everyone we got this amazing headliner for the second show, and everyone will buy tickets. So mm-hmm. it's, it's Jazz FM, like, oh my god, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe treat the first one as a soft launch, and and give us all your love on the second one. And they were like, no, 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 it's got to be the first. Got to anyway. <laughs> I phoned up a mate of mine who was a, a, a session saxophone player, and I kind of said, hey, you know, you know, all these great musicians. We we need a. I think we just need a cherry on the cake. We need a, a last band mm-hmm. to really kick kick the night yeah. and um uh so they, he, he put together this lineup of musicians jazz fm loved it they said we want to do a deal with you take this band in house make them like the jazz fm all-stars do all this all these projects and stuff and we said yeah great so we did the deal and then jazz fm got bought by guardian media group became smooth
0: yeah and we kind
1: of went oh, we don't really want to be the smooth all-stars
0: <laughs> no <laughs> No, quite so, the same.
1: <laughs> not quite the same. So, so we, we, we walked away from the deal and we thought, well, we were going to give up 50% of this business to partner with them. Mm. If we didn't give up 50%, what could we do on our own? Mm. And, and so we kind of flipped it and became uh, created the All Stars Collective as a collective of these great session musicians. It started with 12. It grew to about 40. And the idea was that there were these incredible session musicians, world-renowned musicians who... Uh, go off on tour with fantastic very famous artists and when they Mm. come back they're off tour they've got gaps in their diary and we could fill these gaps with all kinds of musical projects uh, which was amazing so we we to cut a long story short over 15 years we have had music industry clients like Quincy Jones and Stevie Wonder and Jimmy Cliff and and all sorts of artists from all generations and genres Um, we've done music with brands like coca-cola to aston martin to all sorts wow. of people uh, and over the course of that time uh, done the music to raise over 80 million pounds for different charities which has been fantastic wow. so save yeah. the children nspcc Great ormond street a whole bunch of others macmillan cancer loads
0: oh that's incredible what a legacy um wow so where do we find out a bit more about what you're up to in in that field of things do you have a website well,
1: yeah, there's a website, theallstars.co.uk, and the company is specificmusic.com. Uh, I've, I kind of don't don't get involved day to day anymore. I have a team that run that because obviously I'm off running Aim, but I love the fact that it, it runs itself. Uh, keeps yes. you know work flowing for musicians. A fantastic uh, resource there for for you know to to bring music to people, and um, and I love the fact that it just continues. You know even though I'm not I'm not there in the same way that I used to be.
0: Yeah sounds like you've got a great team kind of uh, in place yeah. which is really reassuring. Um it's all about team isn't it just um so sort of rounding off right to the end we, I think we've got a chance for one more question I had loads more but I've just been given the 5 minute cue. Um so obviously everyone's working from home at the moment or well, most people are what's your what's your typical day looking like at the moment and um yeah, do you have any sort of uh, morning rituals or end of evening, end of day rituals? What are you doing yeah. to, to inspire yourself?
1: I'm a big believer in that kind of first 10 minutes of the day thing where, you know, mm-hmm. I'm pulled and pushed in so many different directions and my days can often be so random. I've never been in the same place for so long. I realized before lockdown, I hadn't spent seven nights on the trot in the same bed for four years. Wow. Um, and that's that's kind of life in the music industry so yeah. I got really into that idea of kind of micro routines getting up in the morning having a coffee doing the same thing every morning before you start to just give you give yourself a sense of control yeah. when you start out the day yeah. and what I've loved is being home it's getting a cup of coffee sitting in the garden I do you know I, I never had time to sit in my own garden and I've got a little garden and I can sit there in a little chair drink my yeah. coffee
0: yeah. in
1: peace normally before the kids are up
0: yeah, snap. And, kind of
1: get, and breathe and breathe for like a few minutes before hitting the day, and I I, I feel more prepared uh, each day as a result. I think it's a really good yeah. thing to do. That's my top tip for anyone in lockdown: is get up early and just have that ten minutes.
0: Yeah, even you know, even without children, we've got some members in our team who um, who just like to get. I think you, if you can get get control of your day and, and you decide yeah. how you want to start your day um and even if it does mean sitting sitting in the garden on your balcony in your lounge or or whatever um yeah i think that's really worked for us and we've been quite fortunate with the weather as well haven't we it's um, been quite nice in the mornings it's the
1: making the bed thing have you seen the kind of all the stuff about making your bed if you make your bed in the morning Mm. it's like it's a way to take control of your day in a positive way no matter how tough a day you have ahead of you no matter how how much uncertainty you're going to face and stress you're going to face that's something you can control you can do to put your life in order straight away in the morning It's it's so i kind of um i guess it's it's similar similar idea
0: yeah well thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you um i know you're a very busy guy and i'm sure you're sort of you know in in one zoom meeting and then on for next so um i think our guys will really really enjoy listening to this podcast and some of the really Insightful things that you shared, and um, Thanks, please stay in touch. Um, I
1: will for sure. I will definitely. And uh, thank you for inviting me to be part of it. Thank you for doing this series. I think it's great um, to be sharing knowledge uh, at this mm-hmm. time. is so important to be getting messages out there to help people yeah. through such uncertainty. Um, yeah. And I think you know at AIM as well, we're doing uh, lunchtime free webinars called lunch and learns to help try and upskill people and help. Mm-hmm. Help people do as much as they can through through this period rather than worrying about as you know, rather than worrying about what you can't do, really stretching the art of the possible to try and make it as positive as possible.
0: Great. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Speak soon, Thank Paul. You. All right, take care. Bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to Liberty Music PR's podcast with myself, the co-founder, Beadamic. For more information about any of the topics mentioned in this episode please reach out to me personally or via any of our social media channels at Liberty Music PR. Liberty Music PR is a global agency offering independent playlisting, distribution, creative partnerships, and digital publicity. If you're interested in working with us to promote your music, feel free to get in touch today.